G'day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another Guitar Wank podcast. I am your host, Troy McCubbin. You have no say in it. Uh, welcome. 208, baby. We're still going on through this uh, pandemic, this craziness throughout the world that we're all dealing with. Wow. <laughs> Has shit got any better? It's just getting worse. Oh, my God, man. Shit is crazy. Crazy, crazy. Anyway, uh, I hope you're safe. I hope your family's safe. Um, we're hunkering down here in La La Land, Los Angeles. It's um, We just hit a nice little heat wave. Well, yeah, heat wave, I guess. Our first hot, hot days for the year. So uh be nice to get outside a little bit more. Um, yeah, wherever you are, I hope you're safe, your family's safe, and... You're hanging in there. Don't let the bastards get you down, as Mr. Billy Connolly would always say. We have a Ripper episode for you today. I'm excited about this one. This one's a good one. As opposed to all the other shit ones we've done before. <laughs> this one is a good one. We have a great guest on the show. Um, I'm a big fan of this guy. He's a super great bloke and a super amazing guitar player. Love his guitar playing. Um, he is from Australia. Brett Garsed. Uh you don't know who Brett is, where the fuck have you been? Go check him out. Google him, YouTube him, check out his abilities. He's amazing. Great player. Just, um, yeah, he's awesome. He's definitely one of the badasses on the planet. Incredible slide guitar player. Incredible. Just incredible. We love you, Brett. <laughs> love you, mate. You're fucking awesome. Anyway, it was really cool to sit down with Brett and uh, Skype with him and, and the two other crazy bastards we have on this show, Mr. Scotty Henderson and Bruce Foreman. Uh, it was fun. It was a cool hang. We had a lot of fun. And uh, with all the internet delays and all the other technical problems that usually go on in a normal podcast. But anyway, it was. I, I think you guys will really enjoy it. We've got um, at least two, if not more, episodes out of this. And uh, I can't wait to have Brett actually in the studio one day where we could have him on the couch and uh, and that'll be fun too. So until that day, we, we're doing our best. So um, yeah, here we go. Two, what did I say it was? 208. Remember, Bruce has got his crazy show on uh, on the internet. You can check him out. Grumps on uh, Bruce Foreman's YouTube channel. Go check that out. And he's also live at five. Live at five. Where did you come up with that, Bruce? Live at five on Wednesdays and Saturdays. If you've got nothing to do and you just want to laugh and uh, sit back and feel good about yourself, <laughs> watch Bruce live at five. It's awesome. It's really good. Him and Pammy, his wife, Pammy. Well, no, it's Gidget. Sorry, I just blew it. It's Gidget. I'm oh, sorry. But anyway, they're doing their thing. Um, yeah, so that's it. We're all hunkering down. We'll get through this bullshit at some point if the governments around the world could just get their shit together. Some more than others. <sighs> but anyway. All right. Well, let's get into it. Um, also, the tracks. Oh, let me read you this, actually, by the way, because you'll be interested in this. Um, I said to Brett, man, send me some tunes so we can hear some of your stuff. So he sent me some tracks. Um, the first one. And I never do this. I know I always get questions about what was the song you played and i'm like yeah i forget but anyway this week i'm not forgetting the first track is uh gonna be around was it no avoid the void <laughs> i 
avoid the void. I like it, Brett. That explains our whole show, I feel. That's a, that's a good one. Avoid the void. And then we've got another one called um, In the Middle, which will be called A Thousand Days, which is another great track. And then the last one is called Brothers. And Brett was telling me that um, the last track, um, where was he saying that got that here? Yeah, it's, it's mainly slide and blah, 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 which is the one. Oh, uh, Brothers, the end track, that's the one he uses Scott's bandmaster on. And you hear him talk about that in the, sh- in the episode. Him and Scott, or fusion, they get all fusion-y on me and Bruce. They fusion out on us. And you notice Bruce just shuts up. He's like, ah, oh, fuck you and your fusion. But anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, it was good. So yeah, check that out. But um, killer stuff. Thank you again, Brett. A lot of fun, mate. Uh, anytime, any day. And, uh, yeah, check it out. Johnny Farnham's guitarist. You don't know who Johnny Farnham is? Look up John Farnham. Another badass vocalist, singer, Australian legend. Um, Yeah. But anyway, he's like our, dare I say, our Tom Jones of Australia. (laughs) There's better analogies than that. That's all I got. So, all right. Well, let's get into it. I'm going to play this track, Avoid the Void, because I feel that's fitting. And we'll get into it and uh, sit back and relax. Be safe, stay well, and stay healthy. Catch you all next episode. Thanks, guys.
I lost you. I can hear you. Scott? Yeah, what happened? Did we lose somebody? No. No, I'm here. I think we're there. Okay. <laughs> so are we officially started? Where's Brett? Uh, I'm going to get him now. Okay. I'm going in. <laughs> I'm going in. Have you started recording? Yeah. Good. Let's see if we can get this. Um, um, get that Aussie on the phone. Get that Aussie bastard on the phone. That we, uh, we had to. Two now. Yeah. Whoa. He's. <laughs> <laughs> are you guys videoing or no? Oh, look! There's Brett. There are. <laughs> Dude. But yes. Brett Gassed, we you been, man? So, so I guess this is this is where guitar wank finally hits the bottom of the barrel, and it really is. Uh, 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 this is where your career hits the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> man, we had to wait for a pandemic to get you on the show. That's how sad yeah, it yeah. is. Oh, I know. Yeah, maybe I'll cure it <laughs> in your spare time. You got a link for that. <laughs> oh Christ! I got a ton of spare time. That's for sure. Jesus, Brett, who is that guy that you work for? I forgot his name again. John, John Farnham. Farnham. Yeah, John Farnham. Right. So, does he know you're doing this podcast? Because you're going to get fired. <laughs> Find out. <laughs> oh, oh, you know, uh, uh, John's had plenty of reasons to fire me in the past. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, this is just gonna be he's just gonna add it to the list. Okay. Okay, good. <laughs> and plus, is John working any gigs lately? <laughs> oh yeah. I'm sure he's singing the shit out of it in his shower, I bet. Yeah, right, right. You know, didn't you, guys, you want. didn't you guys cancel a tour right in the middle of it? I was doing this um theater theater show that we we'd done it it wasn't with John, it was with the band, oh. but uh wasn't on it but yeah it was a it was a great show it was called rolling thunder vietnam and it was just brilliant to play because you got to play all that music from that era so uh -huh. it, it was a it was a player's dream it was a, a really great great show uh -huh. and this was the third time we'd done it and we managed to get three shows done and uh that's when they finally just pulled the plug on it they said we uh -huh. were supposed to we were supposed to fly from victoria to queensland within three days the promoter said, "I'm just waiting to hear what the venues say," and and in the end, she said, "Nope, they've all closed." It's uh, it was weird because it was right at the beginning of the whole thing, you know, like we're all wow. standing around going, "Is this is this for real? Is this really happening?" And we weren't quite sure what to think of it, but yeah, it got real, all right. So, how many gigs did you not play that you were supposed to play? Uh, about eight grand's worth. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's it's stunning. You know? yeah. Okay. Look, I'm sort of, I'm sort of, I'm kind of geared up for this whole lockdown thing anyway because I mean I do spend a lot of time per year not working, but that's that's by choice because I, well, you know, who who's going to hire me anyway around here? It's like they know I'll nick off the minute I get a gig, so like. <laughs> Um, I, I, I'd never be able to get a part-time job anyway, and there's just not enough work in Australia to keep us going year-round. So uh -huh. I, I've sort of adjusted my lifestyle to accommodate so long periods. Sheep or what? You know, what's that? Sorry, you droving sheep or wrangling shrimp on the Barbie? What are you doing? I mean, and the rest I, of the time. 
Oh, I just sit around drinking, really. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, me. I, I haven't even started the show yet. Oh, uh, but, you're, but you're taping, right? So this is going to be on. Yeah, but let's let's officially start. G'day, yeah, Wakers. Let's, let's start. <laughs> G'day, Bruce. G'day, Scott. And um, finally, after all this time, we've got one of my hero guitar players on the show, Mr. Brett Garsed. Yeah, Woo! Aussie. One of my heroes too. That's for sure. One of um the oh Thunder. Th- were you in Thunder from Down Under for a while? Or was that was that an earlier gig? I don't know what that is, Troy. I thought that was I thought that was actually Frank Gambale's uh, pseudonym, so I'm is not it, going I, near that one. I thought I was a bunch of Aussie strippers. Actually, it sounded like fart porn over to me. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the blunder from down under. That's what I am. <laughs> Man, hold on. Now, whereabouts in Australia are, you, are we Skyping you from? Uh, uh, Castlemaine is the town. Yep. Uh, Victoria is the state. So we're about an hour and a half uh, northeast of Melbourne. All right. So are you out in the bush a little bit or? I'll show you, man. Have a look. Is that close to Atlanta? Oh, wow. Look at that, man. That's That's awesome. That's my. Yeah, that's what I look at when I come down here to my little hovel in the house. Oh, man, I like the Christmas lights. You have a different time of year than we do, huh? You've got you to gotta have Christmas you lights. Well, have. yeah, south, Southern Hemisphere and all, you know. So. Great. That's <laughs> a, man, we've been meaning to have you on for a long time, and it's so funny that we have to do it like this. Because you were going to come uh, to America last year, right? You nearly came yeah, over? Yeah, I, I did an album with my good friend Chris Buck and Marco Miniman, and they wanted to do a video for it, and I was – I was gung ho to come over, and although I was, it was a bit nerve wracking because it was when they'd shut down the government. Oh, know, that's and, uh, right. Yeah, yep. every every time I turn on the news, it's like air traffic controllers saying, "Yeah, we're getting real tired, man. We're starting to get a bit punchy." And, <laughs> and um, but then, as it turned out, a Farnham gig came up, and and I just I couldn't do it anyway because uh-huh. I mean that's that's my gig. I mean, you know, if John calls me tonight and says I want you on a plane tomorrow, I'm there. But of course, we know that's not going to happen now. But uh, <laughs> Tell the truth, you were flying here just to do the podcast. I was just coming here to do guitar, mate. That's it. Absolutely. <laughs> 14 hours on a plane for Guitar Wank. I'm there. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> I got a question for you. What are you guys doing during this whole thing? That's what I want to know. Like, how do you manage when when the live is the live scene completely ended over there at the moment? Or? Pretty much, yeah. It's done. Mm-hmm. They're saying a lot of people are saying there probably won't be like concerts as we know them, you know, like with say 100 people or over, probably until next year. Yeah, that's they what don't we've know been. when next year. Some people say summer next year, fall next year. We don't really know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've got a gig in August in Atlanta, Georgia, and. Now that the governor has decided to open the state up, <laughs> you're not going to Atlanta, boy. <laughs> so oh, I think That's that you can canceled. God, so you can play your gig, man. Yeah, you know he just opened it up for me so I can do my gig. You know, by the way, Atlanta's and Georgia's where they filmed The Walking Dead, so it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh my there's God. like a ton of stuff on the internet now calling you the death state like the death star 
Hey, Brett, as much as you, Brett, as much as what you might have seen on the TV, it's all fine here, mate. We've got it under control. The government's got it all organised. We have total control over here. No panicking. Trump imitation now. Please do not adjust your sets. There's no need to panic. Yeah, we're, we're at DefCon Five right now. Yeah, we're it's a shit show, man. Believe me, you you did the right thing by moving to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's a brave new world, isn't it? Like, I mean, we're gonna. Yeah. Well, this, if this ever ends, the time it does end, uh, it's things. I hope things look a little different economically, where they're perhaps a little fairer for people. You know, yeah. like a, we hope. Yeah. yeah. We, we were talking about this next week, like when it finally does come back, we're all wondering if promoters and club owners are going to be able to pay us the same kind of money they were paying us before. Like, I, I have a feeling that when I get asked to come back to work, it's going to be for less than, you know, because the economy is going to take time to grow back. But well, I mean, I, I'll I had, right now, I'll, I'll get, if somebody offers me a nickel, I'll go play right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> It's a drag, isn't it? And you know, like I mean, I pay bucks not to play. Yeah, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> I, I try to, you know, I try to sort of find the uh, inspiration every day to practice away here in my home. But I don't know. I, yeah, playing with people, for people, is where it's at. It's really, yeah. it's yeah. hard to stay motivated. But oh well, you got to, you got to do what you got to do. So. so yeah, how often do you go out with John Farnham? Is that is that a kind of whenever he feels like kind of gig? Yeah, sometimes it could be kind of kind of on the, you know, here and there. But recently, for the past few years, we've mainly been doing like either the last few months of the year or the first few months of the year doing sort of festival, outdoor festival shows. Right. Where they're, they're multiple bill things and uh, we'd go out and do those for at least maybe two months, maybe three months. But they're, they're mainly just weekends, which is actually – pretty amazing because i mean you've got the whole week free then you can go work on the weekend and come home and and uh and they're tremendous fun to play i mean the, that the guy's a, hell of a singer man he's incredible he's uh he's so good he's uh well john i think john's 71 now wow is he really <laughs> and, we, and we he haven't, still sings his ass off like that we haven't changed the keys to anything what? in fact if he Jeez. if he has to change if he has, if he if the question is if he's got to drop a key to do the song he just won't do the song Wow, and he's—I'm pretty sure he could sing anything from his past catalogue at any any one moment. But it's just that over the course of an hour and a half show, you know, he's got to—he's got to pace it. So I mean, I mean, yeah, it is—it's—it's nuts. He's amazing, what that guy's man. I mean, he really is amazing. He's such a good singer. He's ridiculous. He's yeah, he's. I try and you should hear him sing standards. He's really re remarkable. I mean, he. Uh -huh. uh, he spent a lot of his younger years, like a lot of the guys that grew up in the, the late 60s into the 70s and their careers took various twists and turns and John had to go through a huge period of doing almost like a cabaret sort of vibe, you know. And uh -huh. so, so, yeah, he's a, he's a fantastic jazz singer. He's, he's badass for sure. When, when did you join John, Brett? Uh, 1985. And what were you doing before that? I was a plumber. <laughs> <laughs> really in this very town that i'm sitting in no well, here's uh, you know we, i grew up grew up on a farm with my farming family and uh in a small town you know you you go get a job that's what you do guys, you know, that's what we did the, you know is the 
is the Skype freezing for you like it is for me? That's fine. Fine for me. I'll put your video on. Let's see what you're wearing, Scott. Come on, man. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to hang my dick out so you can see it. Hang on. <laughs> well, we got a wide thing. I don't know if my camera's wide enough to get the whole thing. <laughs> Go to landscape mode. Dirk, yeah, Dirk, Dirk, go landscape mode. Yeah. Dirk Diggler cam. Oh, okay. Jesus, man. Can uh, you see me now? Yeah, unfortunately, we can. Yeah, it's, it's real dark, so I don't know what, what you can see, but, but you know, yeah, whatever. Well, you know, Brett showed you what he looks at outside. Look at what I look at outside, you know? I'll, oh, I'll take you out there. Come on. I'm going to take you outside. You can't see shit, man. It's dark out here. Oh, it froze. Hold on. Maybe the frogs are going. Oh, yeah. Check it out. Everybody be quiet. Hear the frogs? The frogs. <laughs> okay. Bullfrogs in the creek, man. You guys are in my studio right now, so all you see is panels everywhere. <laughs> Is that is that where the is that the live room, Scott, or the control? This room? is where I mic my cabinet. So you know, it's it's just it's just a room for a a, a Marshall cabinet to to right. live in. <laughs> <laughs> my Marshall cabinet's real happy here. I, I feed it. It's got plenty to eat, so <laughs> it's it's happy just sitting there. A steady I'm diet a of wattage. Yeah, my, it's actually I just a voltage. <laughs> yeah, so, it's it's totally happy. All right, so Brett, I'm amazed. So you were a plumber. Did you have your own business, or were you working with someone else? No, I, I I got an apprenticeship when I was about 15. So and that was the only one that was available. So I thought, why not? So right. I just grabbed it. And, but it wasn't like my lifelong dream to be a plumber. Uh, Dude, I was or, an auto mechanic for two years. So I go. hear you. Wow. You take what you take what you can get. You yeah, gotta, you got to work. And it was just in a, it was in a big factory that I drive past almost every day. Well, I used to when wow. I used to drive somewhere, and uh, and I did that for seven years. And um, I did my four year apprenticeship, and then I stayed there and kept working as the plumber. And uh, and it was about late, what was it late eighty five that I started. I got the first gig with John. I I started sending out tapes of me playing very badly very fast and uh but luckily that was the era for bad fast playing so i got <laughs> lucky and um and uh one of them just happened to go to glenn wheatley who's farnham's manager and he was really the only person that responded and um and uh they asked me if i wanted to do a, a tour with john that christmas because he would he was still in the little river band at that stage oh, right yeah yeah and um they were on hiatus and he just wanted to go out and keep his chops up and do a few few gigs and and so I went out and uh, did those shows with him, which just blew my mind. Made more money per week than I was making as a plumber. <laughs> and I thought, man, this is this this is the future. This I want this. So, <laughs> so yeah, we we did that, and they did mention to me that they were going to do an album the following year, which was 1986. And I, I thought they were going to get that get into it pretty quick, but it turned out they didn't even go into the studio until June. So I had to go back to plumbing in the interim. Oh. And uh, then I went down for a week and recorded all the tracks. And then it came out, I think it came out about two months later, around August or September. And it is the highest selling album in Australian history. 
Wow. What, hold on, what is that called? What's the album called? Just John Farnham? Whispering Jack. Oh, yeah, Whispering Jack, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, ended up selling, it ended up selling a million copies in Australia alone, which is unprecedented really because i mean there's only there's less than 30 million people in the whole country so it's a uh, wow. it's yeah it's sort of in terms of of sales it's up there with thriller and rumors and everything else so yeah, Did, it's, it's were you playing bar bands and stuff like that before that were you doing the local yeah, I was, thing I was, I was playing in a band around this area with my cousins so we were just playing in pubs and it you was were, the first time it was the first time i'd ever been in a real recording studio wow and you were you the local hotshot like everyone was like oh yeah brett he can play he plays pretty well uh well i was i wouldn't say i was a hotshot but i was i suppose i was unique in what i was trying to do yeah you know i was the only person listening to listening to the people i was listening to uh at that time most most of the other players in town were probably more blues rock based and that, that was me too but i'd already heard larry carlton and Alan Holdsworth, so I, I was sort of moving in another direction, you know. So, wow. uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I suppose I suppose I had a reputation for not sounding like everybody else in town. And when? So, did, sorry, go, oh, go ahead. No, you go, Scott. I was just going to ask you when, 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 and what made you decide to come to the states. Um. Well, I, it was late '89, I think. Uh, yeah, it was no mid eighty nine. Yeah, and Jeff Shoecraft was a guy who was managing the Nelson guys, who I ended up being in the band with. And he's an Australian who had worked with Little River Band in the past, and that's how he knew me. And he asked me to come over and audition for the band, and I just, I just thought it'd be an interesting thing to do. And John wasn't really doing anything. I didn't know how long he, we'd worked steadily for like nearly three years up to that stage. And he needed to take some time off and kind of figure out what he wanted to do. And and so I just decided to come over and audition with the guys. And, you know, we had a great time. We hit it off. And I love their songs. They're just really good pop songs, I thought. And that's that, what I like is were, melodic pop. You were here in the States for how many years? Uh, just over 13 years. 13 years. That's a long time, though. You stayed here a while. because you did the whole time. Thing. Well, a lot of a lot of people know you from the albums that you did with TJ, and you know you did a great album with um, Willis and Dennis Chambers and TJ. That's a, I love that record, man. That's it's such a, a good. Album. It's a really fun record, isn't it? Like it was kind of awkward getting it done because, um, uh, you know, we the way TJ and I worked was, was we sort of let uh, Willis and Dennis just do their thing. And then we piled everything on top of it. And Kinsey was brilliant the way he did that too. Like he just, he just was amazing how he adapted to that approach and just brought some incredible stuff to it. But it's and I know I, 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 I'm not sure Willis and Chambers ever thought it would see the light of day. But I think the end result's really interesting. I mean, I really like album. it, and I like the album before that one too. What's that one called? Um, well, we did two of those. So uh, you mean the one TJ and I did? Yes. Uh, well, we did. We did uh, an album called Quid Pro Quo. I remember that when I have it. No, no collusion. And uh, and then we did. Uh, <laughs> then we did another one. Another one called Exempt. Right. Uh, I have and then that we one. did this. We did this really weird experimental one called Under the Lash of Gravity, which was really, really experimental. It was like we were sort of listening to Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails, and had got into the whole sampling looping thing 
and and of course TJ had just started having access to the studio at MI. So yeah, we we really uh, really went for it on that thing. It was it was a fun time. So how many albums total did you do with TJ? Well, including Uncle Mo's. There were two of those, so that's five. Uncle Mo's Space yeah. Ranch. <laughs> I love that name. We, we, Varney Uncle kept Uncle Mo's Space Mike Ranch. Varney kept Who came up with that great name? That's such well, a good name. Mike Varney, Mike Varney kept saying, you guys have got to come up with a name for this project. We'd almost finished the album, and, and he said, we, I still don't have a name. What are you going to call it? And uh, TJ had this, he had this old vinyl album that his parents had got when they bought an Admiral stereo system way, way back in the, God, it must have been back in the 60s or something. And it was a, it was a demonstration album where they'd show you how stereo worked. And they'd say, here's the band in the left channel, and here's the right channel, and, then, and now in the middle, Admiral's Phantom Third Channel, which was just, <laughs> my, you know. And then they'd play it up the middle, and, and, uh, and we thought, oh, Phantom Third Channel, how brilliant, let's call it that. And so we told Varney, he loved it, and he said, let me just do a quick check on the internet. And, yeah, some guy had done, like, five albums as Phantom Third Channel. So, <laughs> so we, we, I think I remember TJ and I sitting there going, what the fuck are we going to call this thing? Fucking Uncle Mo's Space Ranch or something. And it just sort of fell out of my mouth. And, and then he started laughing, and I think he just loved the thought of Willis being on an album called Uncle Mo's Space Ranch. So, <laughs> so, uh, That's great. You so, know, so, yeah, Varney no one had it. to name one Mike Varney wanted me to name one of my albums Fusion Harvest. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck is a Fusion Harvest? It's when you go out in the field and dig up some fusion. (laughs) Dig up some fusion. Oh, oh, crap. They're visionaries. You've got to give it to them. Yeah. Yeah, Varney kept wanting us to call one of our songs Shredfest. Uh, how long how long did you go with uh the nilsson twins who is obviously ricky nilsson's kids right yeah yeah that was um what yeah they're they're ricky nelson's son what yeah are you serious yeah that you know the nelson band that i was in the the pop band that's ricky nelson's kids you know the yeah the funny thing is i I, have no idea I didn't know anything about Ozzy and Harriet or even the Nelsons. I knew Rick Nelson as the singer. I knew Garden Party and uh, Hello, Mary Lou. That's what I knew about Rick right. Nelson. And right. um, so I remember we went out to visit their grandmother and um, Harriet. So there I am sitting there chatting away to Harriet going, oh, it's Matt and Gunner's grandma. Hey, going? It's good to meet you, you know. And I had no idea I'm sitting there talking to American television royalty. Like, she, wow. she was beautiful. Beautiful person. And then later on, we went back there to a house with their manager, Larry Mazer, and his wife was uh, just an Aussie and Harriet Nelson's fan, uber fan, you know. And so we sat there and watched this documentary that they had of all about Aussie and Harriet and leading into Ricky's life. And, and wow. through that, they're going, damn, I had no idea. I just, I just. Thought she was a lovely lady, and she was Matt and Gunner's grandma. You know, but uh, I had <laughs> no idea the history of the whole thing. Like, and the Nelsons are Ricky Nelson's sons. Yeah, amazing. I had no idea. I had. I didn't even put that together. Now, didn't he have another brother? Like, was the, Wasn't it David Nelson? David. Yeah. yeah, David Nelson. Yeah. And was he also a singer and an entertainer too, or was he just an act? Was he an actor? Not sure. I don't, don't recall ever meeting David. I met their uh-huh. mother. Um, 
and I knew their sister Tracy really well, and uh, their young brother Sam. I met met Sam a few times, not not a, a lot, but okay. yeah, they were great people, really wonderful people. Well, you know, you know, there's a there's an Aussie and a whole Aussie and Harriet section on Pornhub. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, you know, of if, course if you go that way you know you can find them <laughs> oh, i must renew my porn hub subscription <laughs> now <laughs> now remember premium to get it you got to be Pornhub premium if you guys go back and watch some of those videos i mean brett you were you were like straddling the you were like rambo dude you had that look going back then you were buff and you had the long hair you were like you were huge. Yeah, yeah, those were the days. You, yeah, the, do you do any? Do you hit any of the weights anymore, mate? Or is that all done? Yeah, no, no. I, I do a little bit of exercise every day. Yeah, and uh, here's the here's the funny thing is, um, hey, did people go mad in the US and start buying toilet paper and you couldn't yeah, get yeah. any toilet? Yeah. Did that happen? Yeah, we had a, we yeah, had that, that. That was a thing here, and the funny thing was, I was actually out. In my shed just this morning, doing a little bit of a workout with my rusty old weights, and my friend Bobby Rock, who was the drummer in the Nelson Band, oh, Bobby, yeah. yeah, never stopped training. Bob's still built like a the proverbial brick shit out. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and he just he just uh, sent me a thing through through Skype and said people are charging premium premium dollars for rusty old weights now. Apparently on Craigslist, so. really. Yeah, because everyone wants to work out at home, so they're all. Oh, of course. Now, uh, you know, you want a thirty-pound set of dumbbells? You give me five hundred bucks. So unbelievable. Oh, oh man, I got I got some sitting around too. I'm gonna have to throw I them up. I got thirty-pound toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> I go with the toilet I paper. Toilet that, then you can use it later, man. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> wow, what an experience! Yeah. yeah, man, those those were the days. I actually met. I met. Um, I think it was Matt. Was it Matt Nilsson? Matthew? Yeah. I yeah. met Matt. We shared the same rehearsal space for a little while there f in, uh, oh, okay. in North Hollywood. But uh, I remember having a private lesson with you when you lived in North Hollywood over here. And I remember you had, uh, I think you had all your cabinets stuffed in a closet under the staircase. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, that was the apartment that TJ lived upstairs yes. in the other apartment. Yep. Yeah. So. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I, though. I, I, I've been to that studio where you guys recorded that album many times, you know, on Lancashire. Yeah, TJ's Space. I don't know if he's still got TJ's Space, you know, I've been there. I don't know if he still has it or not, but I've been there tons of times. Yeah. There was a yeah. great there was a great uh, moment when you came by there. Well, I was I was actually trying to get a solo on one of the tunes for the Uncle Mo's thing. And you came by there to pick up some gear that we'd borrowed. And uh -huh. uh, you came in and you said, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm, oh, I'm trying to get a solo." And and he said, "And you said, uh, how many takes you done?" And I said, "Oh, about 20. And he just laughed and said, "You're not even listening to him, are you? You're just burning them as soon as you do them." And I said, "Yep." And, he, <laughs> and you told me a story about Alan Holdsworth tracking for Jean-Luc Ponty, <laughs> and Ponty right. went away for two hours and came back, and Holdsworth had done the exact same thing. Had done nothing. He just nothing. poured. Just, erase, just record, erase, erase, play and erase, play and erase. <laughs> and as soon as you left, I kept the next take I did, and that's the take that oh, went on awesome. the album. So thank, yeah. thank God you told me that story. Christ, I was, I'd still be there trying to get a stuff. <laughs> 
it is it is the peril of recording that way where as opposed to just doing a live pass in the studio and that's what you get why but and but, you know, you, but you've got unlimited tracks and unlimited time and you can just drive you can just chase your head up your own ass you know it's crazy <laughs> Yeah. You, you, you guys' you guys' Skype is not freezing, right? Uh, I've got little bits and starts. You, you know. guys, if you guys turn off your video, it'll probably be better. I think eating up a lot of bandwidth in our conversation that we don't we don't need the video because we're audio. So if you turn yeah, off your video, be. I think it's gonna be better. Is that yeah, Bruce, turn off yeah. N now I think it might be That'll better. Be now we're not That'll using be. a lot of bandwidth, and I think we're going to have a smoother thing. S smoother ride. But yeah, but I know what you're talking about, man, because, you know, you can, you, when you have the ability to play as many solos as you want, <laughs> it's usually not <laughs> oh. a good thing, because they usually yes. just keep getting worse. <laughs> oh, God. Well, it was for me, and that, that was, it was brilliant. Like, as soon as you said that to me, it was almost like I just started from scratch, and I just went, okay, yeah. just play this thing and move on, you know, and, and I, I listen back to the solo and think it's actually a pretty good solo. So yeah, you know, you know what? I, I usually record about 10 and then by the time the 10th one happens, it's gotten way worse. And then I go back and listen <laughs> to the first one or the second one. And it's always the best one. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't believe that process you described where you take, you take the solo and replay another solo, but keep all the rhythmic phrases. Well, and you can't. I only do that like if the dr bass and drums, if they really react to what I play, I don't really have much of a choice because if I do completely different solo, it'll make them look like idiots. <laughs> like a, well, <laughs> That's an incredible, what an incredibly disciplined process. Though. That's astounding what he, to me. What did he react to, you know? <laughs> so... You don't really have any choice but to to keep you know most of the time I just try to keep the same solo I played in the in the basic tracks and just yeah. fix it for tone. If I have to if I have to fix some notes here or there that are shitty notes, I can fix them. But I have to keep it rhythmically pretty much the same as it was. Otherwise, it just doesn't seem like it fits in the track yeah. anymore. You know, it'll be it it'll seems be completely pointless. Yeah. Yeah, because you know the when they, when they listen to you play, like you know what I what I did a couple times just for fun to see what it would be like. We would take we would do like five or six takes of the whole tune, and I would try to take a solo from one take and import it into like another take of the tune, wow. and it would just be so bad and out of place and have <laughs> nothing to do with what they were playing. And I'll just go, well, that ain't going to work. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. so it's like, I sort of had to, to, it was kind of like a democratic votes when we were listening to the takes in the van, it was sort of like, okay, well the best drum take is probably the one we should go with, you know, because that's the most right. important thing. I can always overdub something if I, if I really played a shitty clunk or solo, but you played an amazing drum track then I'd rather keep that amazing drum track because that's more important. And I can right. easily overdub some s another guitar solo, keep the same rhythmic things that I played. But if, if I play some h horrible phrases, I can always, you know, fix those. But I think it's more important to have a great drum track than, you know, yeah. so 
I would always go with them. If they say, yeah, this is the rhythm track, the one with the rhythm section track that's the best, then that's the one we're going to keep. You know? Man, and, well, but that's the thing, though. Like, when, <laughs> when, uh, when I went and saw Tribal Tech for the first time, uh, actually, this is a great story. I've got to tell you the story about how I, how I discovered you, Scott. Um, I was out touring with Farnham, and I, I used to sort of make friends with other guitar players because I never had anything to do during the day. So they'd come by the hotel and jam and we'd talk. And I must have been talking about, uh, I think I was talking about the old Holdsworth stuff, the Bruford albums and Jeff Berlin. Yeah. I was talking about Jeff. And so the next day we were getting on a plane to go somewhere and this guy that I'd been hanging with meet me, meets me at the airport and gives me a cassette tape. And he said, check this out, you'll really like this. And it's just got Jeff Berlin written on it in pencil. That's it. And so I get on the plane and I shove it in my Walkman, and it was uh, it was uh, Champion. Mm -hmm. it, yeah. So anyway, that's the so, first yeah, that's, record I ever did in my life. Is that right? That's wow. the very first record I ever recorded. Yeah. Well, so the, yeah, the very first song, Mother Load, I think it's called. And um, yeah, that's a really actually nice tune that Jeff wrote. That's a and it's an yeah. incredible solo. My God, when I heard that, I went, who the oh, fuck thanks, is this? God, I don't even remember what it sounds like now, but I remember really liking that tune. Like Jeff, Jeff yeah. wrote, that was a really good tune that he wrote. Yeah, that was, that, that, that cassette ended up heavily influencing me for like, wow, God, at least a year. I mean, I, I was oh, listening to it for, for a year and I'm just thinking, I wish I knew what this guy's name was because he's awesome. And, um, and, uh, and so then I eventually got to, uh, to L.A. and I'd meet, meet T.J. and uh, down at Cherokee Studio. He was working down at uh, Cherokee and uh, that's, where we, that's where we recorded the Nelson album. And he was working there just so that's emptying how ashtrays. You, guys met. you met him actually as an engineer. No, as like a as like a guy cleaning the floor. Like he wasn't even a second engineer back then. He was uh, <laughs> he just started there. Like he was working his way up. And, um, yeah, he approached me and just said, uh, I've heard some of the tracks. I really like your playing. You want to get together and jam? Uh, and we just really hit it off. I was just blown out. And then what did you think when you first heard him play? Oh, I just couldn't believe it. I just, I looked I at know. it and just went, <laughs> I went, like, both you guys are <laughs> so fucking good. <laughs> well, I just looked at him and just went, God, someone actually did it. Someone really figured this shit out. You know, like, yeah. they, I couldn't believe it. Someone. Yeah, someone really got it down, and that's TJ. And uh, and he's the guy that actually, of all those guys, he's the very best. Yeah, he is. And he's the only one I know that's really adopted it as a style and tried to get into the nuance, you know, like he yeah. really and, got you, you into know, the, the subtlety of it. And I don't want to really, I don't want to, like, put anybody else down that does the two-hand tapping, especially not guys like Eddie Van Halen, who are great. But the thing is, is that, TJ is all about that, right? And he's, yeah, the, yeah. he's the only one that plays the guitar that way with, with you know, with the crazy, um, you know, technique of using all the fingers on the right hand and all the fingers on the left hand. Yeah. And he's the only one that I know that plays that style who plays actual musical phrases in time. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? he worked... He was like, really aware of that and worked hard on it. Yeah, it's unbelievable what he can do. He's one of my favorite guitar players of that. I mean, he is my favorite guitar player of that style. He's amazing, you know. Yeah, and then you have yeah. your whole thing of the way you play half playing 
regular guitar and half playing slide. You, you still. How did, how did guys stop? <laughs>
the, who's the guy, the drummer that you do the clips with, where it's just the two of you playing? Is that the Junkyard duo? Yeah, yeah, that's my, my uh, that's like a guy who I, he's like a kid, I took him out of school and brought him on the road, he's just an amazingly talented drummer, great spirit. You know, amazing personality, and uh, we've been playing together ever, you know, ever since. I mean, it's been like 10, 12 years now. Yeah. Some of, some of those things, that, they're just unbelievable. I love watching those things. Man. Oh, thanks, man. Well, I've been doing some crazy shit. That's how I'm keeping busy now. But You know, is I'm, making, I'm just making crazy shit, you know, and throwing it at the wall, you know, and putting it up on youtube and facebook and i'm doing a tv show with my wife at home twice a week <laughs> i've seen one of those yeah that's fantastic. yeah and i'm just like i'm just completely going out you know and i mean it's just like i've decided well you know I'm, the, the idea of being a musician on the stage is gone so i'm just going to be some sort of variety freak you know <laughs> <laughs> it is the strangest world, isn't it? Like yeah. uh, professional professional gamers are the only people that haven't missed a beat. You know, like they they they're just like people that live in their basements playing video games all day anyway. So I guess their business is booming right now. Right, you know. Like, so I'm just trying to catch up. I was always the one that hated the whole idea of it. You know, I like playing with four people and with people. You know, well now yeah. by myself. You know, so I'm just going to create crazy shit that entertains people and, you know, keeps me busy, you know. Uh, Basically, I like to say it keeps me from going sane. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Are, yes, it's, it's a, Troy, are we back in action yet? You guys can keep talking because I've got a backup here going, but I'm, I'm fixing it at the same time, so. Okay. So uh, keep, <laughs> it's okay. Keep talking. So where were okay. we? Where were we? But anyway, like, Anyway, here's the thing. I, so I meet TJ at Cherokee, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and then so I go to his house and I hang and we get to know each other. And over the course of time, he says, hey, you want to come up to MI and check the place out? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. I'd always heard about the school, but I'd never seen it. He said, we'll go up on Tuesday. He said, he said Henderson's doing uh, open counselling. You'll like him. And, and I was like, okay, who's, who's Henderson? You know, and uh, and so we go up there and we walk into this room and you're in there and you're surrounded by the kids and you sort of shoot us this look like, oh, great, another couple of fucking long ears, just what I need. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, fucking um, hippies, get out of my room. Yeah, goddamn hippies. And so we sit down and you, you, you're talking to a student about the song you're going to play, like it's a real book tune, and uh, you're talking it through. And I think you took the first solo, and I don't think you even had a distortion pedal. I think you were just playing clean through the amp, and you'd played five notes. And I went, "Holy shit! It's the guy on the cassette." You know, like I. Oh no way! That is amazing. It's an amazing moment because it just, well, it just you know, just hammers home that point of how your identity is in your hands and how powerful that is to have an identity on this on an instrument and. Yeah, within a very short space of time, I realised you were the guy I'd been listening to for the past year plus. And Jeez. so when we walked, yeah, when we walked out of there, I said to TJ, "What's his name?" He said, "Scott Anderson." And unfortunately, I went to Tower Records looking for Scott Anderson, but there was nothing there. It was all, it would have been under tribal. Gee, I'm tech, surprised. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, it was the tribal tech stuff would have been there. But I, TJ yeah. didn't tell me you had a band. And oh, right, right, right. I mean, it Maybe. wasn't. A, there might have been maybe one tribal tech album there if if I was lucky, 
No, they were there. They were there because I went back. But uh, but it wasn't until I was on the road with the Nelson guys, and I re I remember the moment vividly where I was off to the mall and I bought a guitar player magazine, and they'd done a review of the fourth Tribal Tech record, the one with Joey Heredia on it. Oh yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. And, uh, and I bought that, and um, yeah, that album just oh man, that was just I just listened to that for the rest of the year, pretty much. I. I have amazing memories of being on the bullet train in Japan with the Nelson guys listening to <laughs> listening to that album. So, well, and thanks, then, man. I, you know, that's actually one of my favorite Tribal Tech albums because I love the way Joey Heredia played on that album. He just yeah, killed it's, it. It's it's a beautifully he produced. He killed record. it. He, him and Willis were that was really wow. I mean. That, I don't think they got along all that well, but they really played together well, Willis and Joey. Yeah. And yeah, it, it was, was it was really good, but well, I, I felt the same way when I heard your guys' thing, and I heard Willis and Dennis play, Willis and Dennis play together for the first time, and I thought, "Whoa, this is a hell of a rhythm section." Oh Sound yeah, really good. really good. And you guys on top of it, and especially all the beautiful textures. It's one of the things that you know. I have to say, man, um, you're as big an influence on me because I listened to that music you that you were making with tj yeah. and that got me back into thinking about because see the, my whole history of tribal tech has always just been about playing one guitar part that's right. it and everything else is keyboards layers yeah. and layers and layers of keyboards in fact there were so many tracks of keyboards that we were using simpty so that so that the keyboards could play as we were mixing so there could be more tracks of keyboards and right. more layers so you know when it came to the guitar i was like i had one guitar track that's it and then when i started listening to you guys records and then you know later on tribal tech was going to break up and i was going to play trio and i did a couple trio albums that were just trio you know just like what you'd expect guitar bass and drums no overdubs just you know what it is like basically right. live records like studio like Dog Party and that kind Dog of shit. Dog Party and Sawdown House were like that, weren't they? Yeah, more more or less. No, not very little overdubbing and just just going to the studio and playing. But what really inspired me was listening to your records, also Mike Landau's records. Yeah, and, and, yeah. And um, you know, to hear those beautiful layers and textures that you guys were able to do with only guitars, and I was like. How do they get all those amazing tones with just guitars? And and they're they're morphing and they're morphing those guitars in a way they don't even sound like guitars. But the beauty is they don't sound like keyboards either. You know? Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting approach, isn't it? Yeah, I when you when you I use the guitar it. as an ambient instrument, it is the closest thing to my heart in music. You know, yeah, it's, it's like it just it just moves me when I hear someone play this musical shit and it's a guitar and it, you know it's a guitar you know it's not a keyboard but yet the what you play is so influenced by the sound that you're getting and that is really special to me man like that kind of thing it really it really blows me away because i saw zawinul do it for years and i've seen mike's gigs where where mike changes his tones and it every time he changes his tones it changes his whole style and approach to playing the guitar yeah. you know you start and, you start to play the sound and not the instrument exactly it's amazing exactly. Yeah. Yeah. you're playing what the sound needs 
to be played. You're playing the notes yeah. the sound needs, right? And well, I think when I, when, I listen to, when I listen to Alan, Alan, well, you know, when Alan did uh, the IOU record, that was the, the turnaround for me because I'd never, I mean, I'd heard ambient guitar before on other things, but I'd never heard it done to that extent when he would yeah. do the volume swell stuff. And well, that was a and whole, also, yeah, very innovative. Yeah, and that's, and that's of course, when the, the vision of his chordal thing was really presented for the first time that I'd ever heard, you know. I'd, Me too. And so I was just going, oh, my God, I thought I thought he was a soloist, but this chord thing is what he's really into, I think. And uh, and then the, the sounds he would get into later on through his career, just like you said, just with the not, – not even mentioning the syntax, but just what he was doing with the guitar and the, the, the harmonizers and things like that, it's, uh, it was really I remember me – me and Steve Cardenas went and saw him one night at the Baked Potato, and he played this beautiful chord solo thing. And I, I have to say, it was so Stravinsky-like, you know? Yeah. It was the harmony, the only composer I can think of to compare it to is Stravinsky, because it was yeah. like that, you know, with all the, with all the um, you know, really close intervals in the chords and... You know, almost every chord had like a major and minor sixth or a major <laughs> and minor seventh in the same chord, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're just going, okay, those are some tweaky sounding chords right there. I managed to see him. It was after we, I think I was at the NAM show and I, I played with Rick and Joel. And we, Rick and I had gone out with the SWR amp guys, you know, and, and had a few drinks. So we were a little bit buzzed by the time we got back to the spud. And Alan was playing there with um, with Chad and Jimmy, I think. It was that trio. And, yeah, uh, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. And, mm -hmm. and we walked in and I remember sitting there at the bar and I'm having yet another beer. And he's doing like zone or whatever it is, that that those chords that he do before he did that tune. And I remember just sitting there leaning on my hand going what the fuck's the point it's all been done <laughs> it, was really, it was really beautiful and depressing all at the same time and, yeah I know and, what you mean. and then and then at the end of the night the poor guy's like struggling out with his gear i remember picking up one of his 412 cabs and taking it out to his van for him like he's you know just right. and he's all bummed out about his playing too and think that thinking that he sucks completely yeah one yeah. one of the nights yeah. there was one of the nights where he tried to give everybody their money back and yeah it was it was a drag, but uh, man, I was so lucky to get to see him play a couple of times. I, I the first time I saw him play was at, at my place. At, uh, I remember Club. that place, yeah, in Santa Monica. So that was the first time I saw Tribal Tech play, and uh, oh, okay. that was we we'd finished the Nelson tour, so it must have been like early shit. What year would it have been? Early '92, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I think it was. It, I think it was one of the first gigs you'd done with Kirk. And okay. uh, yeah, it was one of the first gigs you'd done with Kirk. And you pretty much played almost the, the, the fourth album. You, you opened with uh, a Signal Path and pretty much blasted through the whole thing. And um, I was just, I was fucked up after that gig. i got to tell you, I, like, I actually <laughs> sat there and just went, I no longer think I'm qualified to be a musician. No, and, uh, I think your eardrums were just broken <laughs> and that's what it was. Yeah, it's, I think I, I, I recall. That's all. <laughs> I recall not touching a guitar for two weeks and just looking at it like I don't know what you are anymore. You know, yeah, that was heavy. That was one of the greatest things I've ever seen and heard. That was. Man, I'm sorry to break your eardrums and and, and put you <laughs> into drama. <laughs> Didn't want to. Hey, so, Troy, how you doing, man? Oh yeah, no, we're back. We're all good. 
Thank uh, God. Uh, did you hear that that we were talking about, about yeah. Alan? What? You're talking about Alan? We were talking about Holdsworth for a while. Did you get any of that? Oh, no. I missed it all. Fuck, oh. Fucking with you. Um, <laughs> I got it all. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Okay, because we, we said some good things about <laughs> Alan, you know. I, I like to, you know. We, we, you know how we never talk about him, right? <laughs> <laughs> His name never comes up. <laughs> That's an inside joke, Brett, because we talk about him all the time. No, Brett, Brett I know, knows. I, I listen to every episode, so, you know, I'm... I'm, oh, I'm no, no, please <laughs> tell me. To I'm one of those lonely guys sitting there listening to guitar, Wank. You know who your audience <laughs> is. So tell me, Brett, when did you pick up... When did the slide guitar playing become a part of your thing? Like, when did you start doing that? It was pretty early on. There was a... To, the, to be honest, it was a little river band song. And it was called uh, Every Day of My Life. And Rick Formosa was the guitar player back then. So I think this was probably like late 70s. Um, I would have been about 16, I think. And, uh, and it, I loved the sound of it. I'd never really seen anyone do it and uh, loved the sound of it. And thought, God, that's incredible. I've got to try that. So I went into the local music shop and I bought a chrome slide. And I tried it and it was just diabolical. You know, like, I mean... Awful, just beyond awful. I mean, as as it normally is when you start playing slide guitar, and and so I just put it down and said, "Yeah, it's not for me." And I was talking to a, an older friend of mine, Glenn Quill or Quilly, as I call him, and uh, I told him about it, and he said, "Ah, no," he said, "You got to get another guitar and tune it to a chord like open E or open A." And so I bought a uh, a Les Paul copy for a hundred bucks out of a shop and tuned it to open E, I think, because he said, "Yeah, then you can just like." hit any note and it'll still sound pretty good and you just got to get in tune and and then i saw it was just about the same time i was i'd done that i saw joe walsh live on tv doing rocky mountain way oh wow and uh and so that that was you know that really got me going again i thought man i want to i want to get this down but the thing i noticed was joe wore it on his second finger on his middle finger the finger and that was, and I just thought, okay, so that's the finger you put it on. See, Rick Famosa put it on his third finger, but I'd forgotten about that. And when I saw Joe, I thought, okay, so you put it on your middle finger. And to this day, it's pretty rare. Like uh, me, Jeff Beck, Bonnie Wright, uh, a few other people I see now, but, but, you know, in the older generation, not many people wore it on that finger. They mainly went either the third finger or the little finger. And, and uh, but yeah, after I'd, discovered that you could tune your guitar to a chord i just persevered with it and eventually I, I got better at muting and intonation and then i could go back to standard tuning and 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 of course by then i was a massive rory gallagher fan so yeah the it had really it had really taken hold i love playing slide man if i could find a gig well actually with farnham i play 80 percent of what i play is slide guitar oh so, wow really yeah it's just it's just the songs he's chosen for the set they just happen to be songs I played sliding. So, so yeah, it works yeah. out great. I love it. And you, but have you always, always got your slide on your little finger? Second finger. On your second finger? But I don't, I don't always have it there. I've got a pocket on my strap that I put the slide in, and then when I, when I need it, I just grab it out of the pocket and shove it on my hand and then put it back in. So, so uh that way I don't. But if I'm playing a song that's, that I've got a slide solo in, I just leave it on and play. Oh, and I just don't my second finger. So what's that? 
I don't know what that was. Uh, Freaked out. So when Ed, have you always been doing like uh, picking fingers as well, Brett? Was that always that something you did as well? Yeah, yeah, that started really young. I think I was about thirteen or fourteen. I just looked down one day and my other fingers were joining in, and I went, "Okay, so I guess this is happening." <laughs> and I didn't think anything of it. I mean, you know. This whole hybrid picking thing, I didn't even know that what that was that was a thing until I think I did my first instructional video in, when was that, 1994 or something, 93. And uh, I, I just always called it, I mean, the country guys called it chicken picking, right? So yeah. I just called it, I don't know, I don't know what I called it. I didn't call it anything, but uh, <laughs> I didn't take any notice of it until other people would remark on it. I, I didn't know it was anything out of the ordinary. So, just, yeah, it's just. I played. I always, always remember being in a wedding band back in uh, Australia, and we'd do uh, Two Strong Hearts" by John Farnham, and then I'd get to the solo and think, "What the fuck did Brett play here?" <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing is, one a guy came up to me—that's a slide solo—and a guy came up to me not that long ago and said, uh, after one of the gigs, and he said, uh, "We play this song in my cover band," and I, until I saw you tonight, I didn't even know it was a slide solo. Yeah. I wondered. I couldn't play it properly. Yeah, I always struggled with it. I was like, what's he doing? And I had no clue you did slide either until I saw you years later. But um, awesome solo too. So Slide guitar's a great ace in the hole to have. Yeah. I don't know if you heard my question because I think maybe I got blurted out for a second. But did you ever use the the slide on your little finger and play? Never. No, it was always on the second finger. Always on the second finger, but but yeah. then some. What I remember is one time seeing you play, and and the what I tried to figure out about it, and I I, I really didn't understand what you were doing at all because it was so foreign to me, and it was amazing, but I couldn't figure it out because I would hear, and I also wasn't at a place where I could see you very well. I was kind of in the back, so right. I couldn't see your hands good enough to see what you were doing. But what it sounded like to me is that. You'd hear these regular traditional guitar phrases like you're you're playing lines and stuff and you know great stuff like with regular guitar and then all of a sudden there would be slide happening and then it would be back to guitar and then back to slide and back to guitar like simultaneously happening at the same time and I would go how the hell is he doing that? Well, sometimes I just I do it a lot when when I was open counselling and I just uh, leave the slide on my finger but play around it and just use the other fingers instead of – and it was kind of nice in a way because it it, threw you, it throws you out of your comfort zone and, and it also makes you think – you know, it takes away a lot of your old – my old favourite licks. It makes me play a little musical and definitely makes me slow the fuck down for a change, you know. <laughs> so it just, it just, it, but it's, yeah, it's kind of – it's kind of a, a a fun thing to do where you, you you can play a slide phrase and then play a normal phrase as well. So so you, it does amazing. sound like two like, people. Dude, dude, I don't know anybody that I mean. It's one of the most unique styles that I know of, and I don't know anybody that can do that but you. Period. Yeah. Well, it's fu- it's funny because I think the the um the whole you know eighty shred thing really does. It's a stigma that kind of stays with you for a long time. Like I mean, not that I'm, not that I'm. Yeah, you know, it's time and place. You know, I was young and young and all the rest of it back then, and and that was what was that was the flavour of the month in rock and roll. That's for sure. So, so, uh, but um, 
uh, yeah, the slide playing doesn't get as much attention as I would think it would. But uh, yeah, I, look, it's like when I, I see guitar players that are, or other musicians that are also fantastic singers, and people no, no one ever talks about what a great singer Stevie Ray Vaughan was. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. fantastic. Oh, Rory great. Gallagher, like great, great vocalists, but. Yeah. No one really mentions that. They're just so focused on the guitar playing. and Maybe that's the same where they, they, they can't get past all the shredding solos that I've done in my lifetime to listen to the slide playing. I, I feel like there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a lot, there's a lot more substance and originality in that than anything else I do. Uh, well, it's great stuff, man. I mean, every time I, like you say, you have an identity and you can hear it plainly when you, when you play. And uh, Well, I did a, I did a session um when was this like mid 90s and it was for do you remember wilson phillips remember that band? Uh, i played with wilson phillips i toured ah, with them. Well, there you go yeah i did it i did a, a session one song for the uh for the wilsons it was carney and carney and wendy was, uh, wendy that's and, right in china they were doing a, doing a, they were doing a christmas album it wasn't the full three of them it was, oh, just, it was just the two of the girls yeah and uh my friend paul Merkovich, keyboard player uh got me on the session because he knew I was hurting for some bucks and they just needed a guitar player to come in and just sort of play a bit of groove. And, man, Jimmy Johnson was on bass and I think Mike Baird played drums, so I was it was an amazing place to be. It was great. They were doing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, by the way. <laughs> I used to play that version. And, uh, I and, got and, so, well, for that. <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> so we finished, we, finished, we finished doing the track and I remember, because it was mid-'90s, right, or – so grunge had set in and guitar solos were to be, to be avoided like bubonic plague or coronavirus. <laughs> and, um, and I remember the producer saying, oh, God, I suppose we should think about a guitar solo. He was saying it like he was going to get the plague. And I said, how about a slide solo? And all of a sudden the entire mood changed. I remember the engineer looked at me and said, oh, you play slide. He said, who's your favourite slide player? And I said, well, one of them's David Lindley like the, from Jackson Brown's band and and he said, I fucking love David Lindley. Let's set it up. So we, <laughs> you know, we, I just was amazed at how all of a sudden he, they'd gone from dreading a guitar solo to fully embracing the vibe of the solo because it was a slide solo. And I thought, man, this is a good ace in the hole to have right here. This is, this will, well, a lot of times if I turn up at multiple guitar jams, hardly anyone plays slide. So I just shove that on and do that. And that way I, I uh, don't have to, you know, don't have to be directly compared to anybody else standing there. Dude. You know, Brett, when I play slide, that's when the 50th take is the one that I keep. <laughs> <laughs> well, because look, it's like it takes me 50 takes to play one phrase in two. I, I, that's the I one that I really love your Hawaiian record. That was really great. <laughs> <laughs> I worked hard on that, man. I was trying to copy Don Ho. Yeah. Yeah, green. Man, green I'm, I was getting seasick, though, half the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like. It's like singing. Like the first, for me, the first thing that goes if I don't do it a lot is the intonation goes, you know. And uh, it's like if it, the more I play it, the more if I've got more live playing where I'm playing slide, my intonation gets really good. And if I'm not playing much of it, then yeah, it just goes to shit. So yeah, it's one of those things where you got to you got to keep on it. Yeah, so it's like it's do, like singing. Do you do you have a particular slide that you prefer, like a glass one or a brass, or what do you? Yeah, it's a, a Jim Dunlop 211. That's the slide I found that's um, it's just the right the right thickness of the glass and it sits right. I don't like it to go past the like the middle knuckle on my 
right finger. I like it to sit pretty well up because I do that twisting thing, you know, where I angle it right and across the strings where you can get triads and things. So, so uh, it's it's handy if it's uh, if you've got a bit of extra extra length in the thing. So, a bit of extra length never goes astray. I got to say, <laughs> that's but, uh, just, oh, that, 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 <laughs> many girls have told me that. <laughs> So, well, I, I heard about your operation. I saw the receipt. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, you saw that. You see that on Facebook? <laughs> oh, God. So, so, Brett, when you go out now with John Farnham, like, what's, what's the back line for that nowadays? Do you just – do you get to choose what you're running behind you or is it just – what's – Well, what? here's the – yeah, that's an excellent question, Troy, and that's the, that's the world we live in now where – where uh, we're all doing fly-in, fly-out gigs. So I figured, I figured that the, the, the rental situation, at least here in Australia, is so diabolically unpredictable. You may say, like, I need two hot rod devils, and you'll turn up there and there'll be one hot rod deville <laughs> and, uh, and it will be half dead. And, uh, you know, you could say, I want two Fender Twins. Oh, no, they've got two to uh using ketners or something i don't know anything could you could get anything and you, you may get the amp you want but who knows what kind of condition it's in so to be honest what i ended up doing was i i started using the fractal gear and i was i've been using the axe 8 which is a sort of pedal board version of uh the axe effects thing yep and when i worked my ass off on those sounds you have no idea how much how hard i worked to tweak those sounds to get them to sound like an amp and so what we do now is because I'm the only guitar player in John's band, we, we did have Stuart Fraser playing with us, but unfortunately he he, he hadn't been able to play with yeah he hadn't been able to play with us for the past four years because he was battling cancer and we finally lost him poor thing about uh, oh, about four months ago so uh, so I was the only guitar player and so I had a lot more space to fill. So what I do now is I take the X eight up there and I run that through stereo wedges that are facing me. And then we also run it into whatever backline they've got, like two combo amps behind me. So it is just massive up there. It's wow. just yeah, it's like a friggin' Metallica concert up there for me. It's just <laughs> great. But it's the consistency of it is that no matter what happens, uh, Grant Walsh, our sound guy, gets the exact same thing every time. Because right. a lot of times we, we don't even see the stage until we walk onto it and start playing. We don't get... Sometimes we don't get sound. Most of the time, we don't get sound checks or line checks or anything. We just walk on, wow. launch into it. That's it. Yeah, that's how they do these festivals. And so the beauty of it is, Grant can just dial up the exact same preset he's had for all the other gigs, and it just comes at him. You know. Yeah. There's no. Whereas there's no guesswork. No, there's no mic placement. There's no. Does this mic work? Is this one broken? Is you know, is the wind blowing past it? Is is that speaker shot? Is the amp so shot? Because what speaker do you hear yourself coming out of? Well, the wedges, the, the monitors are uh, like $10,000 monitors. They're the most unbelievable speakers. And our, our sound guy, Adam, is just one of the best in the business. And he just rolls off all the frequencies that for my guitar sounds. So it pretty much sounds like a, a 112 cab, you know. Right. So in other words, it, you get to use the same monitor every night. Yeah, well, they're the same. Yeah, they're the same. Uh, at, at the very least, the same brand of monitor. Yeah, but yeah. See, if it's the same, if, yeah, yeah. So you can sort of tune your brain to it, and then of course, 
I've got the back line as well, so it's coming at me from behind. So I'm just surrounded with guitars up there. And, of course, I've got a full band mix coming at me as well. So, oh, so it's It's just so much fun. You're not it's using really you're not using ear, inner ears, are you? It's all, all monitors on stage. Yeah, John yep. uses – all the singers use in-ears, and we, we, talked, uh, we talked them out of it since we started doing these gigs because we said, look, it's just to get up there and have these in-ear things in and do it on the fly like that, it's just too hard, you know, to be all – to have a 10-piece band screaming at one guy saying, I need more hi-hat, you know. It's <laughs> yeah. like it's just easier to go up there with a really basic uh, monitor mix and, uh, and at least let him focus on John and the singers – and then, uh, and then, if we need anything else, we can we can get that. But for the most part, we can, it's fine. You just you know, if I want to hear more drums, I just take a step to the left kind of thing. You know what I mean? Right. So, yep. it's really organic like that. And the in ears are they're an incredible thing. They really are for singers. They're a godsend because they remove that whole problem of how the hell do I hear myself over this band? And and uh, they make a band suck air tight. They really are incredible. It's like being in a studio environment all the time. But yeah. I, I don't know. I horrible, just missed horrible for guitar. I feel on stage. Yeah, I missed. Uh, I just missed being in the world. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like it's. Uh, it's like it's. They they can get claustrophobic. Like.
Thank you.